Now, Leviticus 13 and 14, we will continue to listen in as God continues to speak, separating his people out for holiness. The purpose of Leviticus, be holy, the Lord says, because I am holy. And so that's the point of the whole book. That's the key word. That's the bottom line. Holiness. And God is calling us to that. He's calling His people to that. And we see incredible examples of what this means. Sunday we looked at chapter 12 at childbearing. And before that, chapter 11, laws about animals for food. And all these things that you would think, as you read through, if you're just skimming along, you would think, well, what does that have to do with holiness? And we've seen in every case that God is painting pictures. And God is detailing And God is protecting his people, sure, physically. He's protecting them in healthy ways, showing them what's right, what's wrong, what's good for them, what's going to be bad for them. But he's also drawing a line in the sand for that which is holy, that which is clean, and that which is not clean. And this time, the focus is, are you ready? Leprosy. Leprosy. I've got some of the best leper jokes. You heard why the leper failed his driving test? He left his foot on the brake. Yeah. Or, um, why did they cancel the leper hockey game? There was a face-off in the corner. At some point tonight, I'll I'll, uh, make sure you have opportunity if you want to support some... uh, some, <laughs> some companies, you know, that, that work with lepers, uh, some organizations, just if you want to give them a hand, you know, you can do that. Sorry, I gotta be careful, I can put my foot in my mouth. Okay, a couple of things to think about as we consider leprosy. You know what you call a guy who, uh, a leper in a hot tub? on detection, prevention, or cure. God's not dealing with how do you cure leprosy. What he will deal with in chapters 13 and 14 is how you will be clean. How you will be cleansed of leprosy. And that's different than the cure. A couple things you may want to jot down if you're taking notes to think about as we get into chapter 13 and then next week hopefully chapter 14. Number one, God is not as concerned with the cure as he is with the cleansing. He's not as concerned with the cure as he is with the cleansing. We're concerned about the cure. That's what we're looking for. We want the healing. And we also have certain expectations as to how that healing is supposed to take place. And we want God to do something amazing, something miraculous. And sometimes the miraculous happens in such mundane ways that we almost miss it, as it was with Naaman the Syrian. In the days of Elijah, and you can look this up if you want to study it on your own later, 2 Kings chapter 5, the first about 14 verses, talks about a Syrian officer named Naaman. Now Jesus will point out to the Jewish people later on that he was the only one in the days of Elijah who had leprosy and was cured of leprosy. No Jews, just a Syrian, a Gentile. Which is interesting. But Naaman came along and word came up. He was a higher up in the military, Syria. And word came down the pipe that he had contracted somehow leprosy. 
Word got to the king of Judah, uh, and, and there was a problem there. And so it comes down to Elijah. He finds out about it and says, send for him. Have him come my way. So Nahum, an Assyrian, comes along, wanting cure, wanting healing. He's heard great things about this prophet Elijah, apparently, and so he comes for healing. Well, Elijah doesn't even see him. He sends out Gehazi, his servant. And Gehazi comes along to him and says, Elijah says you're supposed to go wash in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be clean. Sounds good. But not to Naaman. Because Naaman heard that and said, What? This is your miraculous healing prophet? He's sending me to the river to wash? I'm supposed to get clean seven times in the Jordan River? Hey, i got better rivers where I come from. Bigger, more grand, more wonderful rivers. Places that I can go if I'm just going to go for a bath. I'm looking for healing here. And he literally leaves in a huff. Leprosy still going on. And some of his advisors, wise men, say to Naaman, Look, it's worth a try. Might as well give it a shot. I mean, if this guy is a prophet of God, maybe there's something to this. So he relents. He says, all right, fine. Goes to the Jordan, washes seven times. He's cleaned, cleansed, baby soft skin, completely restored. And the point is that God doesn't always heal the way we want to be healed. He doesn't always do miracles in the way that we think he should do the miraculous. We were talking about it on Sunday night, and it just cracks me up. And I don't know how this is going to play out. And please continue to pray for Jim. But Jim Crouch, one of our elders, has a disease that is attacking his kidneys. 85% of his kidneys are right now consumed by this. It's a genetic g- disease, and there is no <laughs> cure. Although he found out just last week that his mother-in-law, who just went to the doctor about a month ago, discovered she has... Four working kidneys. So continue to pray. But God heals the way God wants to heal. Not the way we think we're supposed to be healed. And sometimes we completely miss the miraculous because we're looking for it to be a fantastic lightning bolt from the sky, something incredible, but maybe Jesus just is going to spit in the mud and put it in the guy's eyes. How impressive is that? Or maybe he's going to say to the Roman centurion, um, Look, she got great faith. Go on, he's healed. Your servant's fine. It may be that simple. God is not concerned with the cure. He is into the cleansing. The cleansing. I share with you that Jesus made a comment about Naaman. It's Luke chapter 4, verse 27. He's talking to the people in his hometown. He's just proclaimed himself basically the Messiah. He's read from the book of Isaiah. And he's declared in this day that the prophecy he read was fulfilled. And he turns around and says, you know, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And we're told that all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. Why were they angry? Because again, Naaman was a Gentile. And Jesus points this out. And they were furious because that was an embarrassment, God healing that Gentile. We all know the stories there, Jesus. Why do you have to bring it up? Why didn't he heal Jewish lepers? Why not take care of our own? Yeah, he went outside the box. We don't understand God, but you have to throw it in our face, Jesus. God wasn't healing the way they wanted him to. Which brings me to my next point. While we focus on the now, God is looking at the forever. Well, we're so so concerned about getting life together and making it work now. While we're fearful and stressed out and worried about the now, God's saying, the now is just, I mean, it's here, it's gone, it's nothing. It's nothing. 
I'm concerned about you eternally. The picture is always bigger with the Lord. It's always more than today or tomorrow or even next year. His concern is eternal. Well, how do we know this? Well, Mark chapter 2, another story you're familiar with, I'm sure, the paralytic. It's a great children's Bible story. It's a great adult faith story. Because this paralytic and his buddies can't get into the house where Jesus is teaching. And they have incredible faith. They know this man can heal the paralytic. And so they take him up to the roof, rip off the roof tiles, drop him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus is so impressed, he says, wow, your sins are forgiven. And of course, all the Jews around are, are just forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. Who does he think he is? And Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? But that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins, which is easier to say? Rise and take up your pallet and walk, or your sins are forgiven. But here, let me prove it to you. Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And he did. He was healed in that moment. That's healing. Forgiveness first. Physical stuff second. I kind of wonder at times if he even, even would have healed the paralytic of the paralysis. If he wasn't proving a point to the Jews. Now I think he would because Jesus was compassionate and was a healer. He didn't like to see anybody hurting or suffering. But the point was not the physical healing. The point to Jesus was forgiveness. For in that moment, if, if he just had one shot with this man, one thing he could do for him, I guarantee you it would not have been physical healing. It would have been forgiveness. Because God always sees the bigger picture. So... Leviticus chapter 13 while it deals with leprosy in the flesh God's greater concern is a cleansing a healing in the spirit for leprosy in this chapter as you will see and we're going to give you 9 or 10 points as we walk down through this 9 or 10 things to jot down leprosy is a perfectly graphic type of the one thing we need cleansing from more than anything else and that's sin if there is one picture in the book of Leviticus that you could pick out of the whole lot and say, this is sin, you're going to see it in these two chapters. Leprosy is sin. It is a picture of the uncleanness of sin. A man by the name of Dr. William Thompson wrote a book called The Land and the Book about a century ago. And in this book he said the following. He said, as I was approaching Jerusalem, I was startled by the sudden apparition of a crowd of beggars without eyes, without noses, without hair, without anything. They held up their handless arms, unearthly sounds gurgled through their throats without pallets. In a word, I was horrified. Leprosy. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 1. Let's pray before we read it. Father, Father, seal us for this chapter and open our hearts to accept your teaching and your words. And Father, help us not to care one way or another if it's politically correct. Let, let us just see what's biblically correct. And let us settle in to your grace, but also, Father, your judgment, that we might understand more how to walk in these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling or a scab or a bright spot, and it, begins, and it becomes an infection of leprosy on the skin of his body. Then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons, the priest. Number one, sin comes on by degree. Sin comes on by degree. Like leprosy, it always starts small. Sin is rarely big, huge moments, at least early on, in the beginning. And sin can always be traced back. The big sins, the life-ending sins. 
The sins that are just so graphic and awful and horrible, if you trace their roots, you always find just a tiny little beginning, a small degree. James 1.15 tells us when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is accomplished or full grown, it becomes or brings forth death. Dr. Thompson also wrote, he was a medical missionary, he said leprosy comes on by degrees in different parts of the body. The hair falls from the head and the eyebrows. The nails loosen, decay, and drop off. Joint after joint, the fingers and the toes shrink up and slowly fall away. The gums are absorbed. The teeth disappear. The nose, the eyes, the tongue, and the palate are slowly consumed. And finally, the wretched victim sinks into the earth and disappears. An awful description of an awful disease. But Isaiah says the following, and see if this doesn't relate. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is nothing sound in it. Only bruises, welts, raw wounds, not pressed out, or bandaged, nor softened with oil. And he's not talking about leprosy. He's talking about sin. Leprosy is the perfect graphic picture of sin. And it only comes on by degree. But it's grotesque. It's corrupt. It's horrifying. And it starts small and works its way throughout the whole body, sin does. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, biblical leprosy was worse than what we call leprosy today. What we call leprosy today is is pretty much curable. It's called Hansen's disease. And what's in the world today that's termed leprosy is different. It's not quite so bad as it was in the biblical day. Biblical description of leprosy is far worse. But how exactly does it come on? Looking at these first two verses, in verse 2, there are three ways that it shows itself. Three ways that it begins. Little ways. Leprosy is a swelling. A swelling. A swelling of the flesh. Just like sin. Sin often starts with a swelling of the flesh. We call it pride. The flesh begins to puff up and to swell. And we begin to think we can handle it. We can deal with it. Or we begin to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Proverbs 21.4 Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked is sin. For you see, when the flesh begins to swell, something sinister is going on underneath. The priest only had to look at a man whose flesh was beginning to swell on his arm or his leg or his shoulder. And as he looked at that swelling spot, there was indication, a symptom of a much deeper problem. And he had to watch for it, to keep an eye on it. Pride. Pride puffs up in the flesh. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And what's the greatest picture of pride we have in the Bible is Satan. Satan himself. Created as a guardian cherub. Created as beautiful. And if you read about him, in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, you can see this description of this cherubim of massive beauty. Of musical skill. He was a high-ranking, gorgeous angel. An amazing being. Created by God, as all the angels were, for the purpose of worship. Some commentators even said about Satan that he was music in and of himself. Which is no surprise that he uses music so powerfully today. 
to draw people away from the Lord. But this description of Satan, Ezekiel 28 verse 17 says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor, pride, a swelling in the flesh. Satan wanted to elevate himself, sought to elevate himself to the highest place in heaven. Above God, and because of that, he was cast down. He developed spiritual leprosy, a swelling of the flesh. Well, leprosy also begins maybe as a scab. A scab, a sin, we might call that a cover-up. Because that's what scabs do, right? They cover up a deeper wound. They cover up, again, a problem that's going on beneath All the scab did with leprosy was hide the fact that leprosy was happening underneath. Adam and Eve. What was the first thing they did when they sinned? Covered up. It was a cover up. Cain. Covered up. How do we know Cain covered up? Because Abel's blood cried to the Lord from the ground. Apparently Cain stuck Abel's body somewhere after killing him. What about Noah, Jacob, Abraham, Moses? All these guys. Cover ups. For every sin. David. Probably one of the most massive and, and, and horrifying cover-ups of all. When he gets a woman pregnant who is another man's wife, he has the other man murdered to cover up. Scabs. It's how sin evolves. Just like little scabs. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And we'll get back to confession in a few moments. Number three, it also says, and I think this is interesting, leprosy is a bright spot. With sin, with sin, we also have bright spots. It's my only vice. <laughs> it's the bright spot in my week. You know, it, it's just—it's not a big deal. It's just the one little thing. I'm real good in all these other areas, but this one—I just this is my thing. This is my little bright spot. This is the thing that I kind of hang on to. It, 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 I know I shouldn't be watching that show, or maybe I shouldn't have had the. You know, fourth beer. Or maybe I shouldn't... I don't know. You fill in the blank. What's your little bright spot? Proverbs 16.30 says, He who winks his eye does so to to, to devise perverse things. He who compresses his lips brings evil to pass. You see, we've learned in our culture to wink at the bright spot. The bright spot that, remember, is indicative of a deeper problem underneath the skin. A deeper problem in the flesh. A sin that is creeping and growing is just a little bright spot, though. Not that big a deal, right? I was sitting at Starbucks earlier today. And uh, they've got this neat little thing on their cups now called The Way I See It. And it's just little quotes from people. You know, people write in, The Way I See It. And I'm driving back. I ran over Starbucks. I'm running some errands. Did you get the same one? Today, so they're mass produced. That's nice to know. And I'm driving back to pick up Hayden from Taekwondo, and I look down and I noticed a word that just kind of jumped right off the cup at me. The word is gay. Let me read to you the little quote. My only regret about being gay is that I repressed it for so long. I surrendered my youth to the people I feared when I could have been out there loving someone. Don't make that mistake yourself. Life's too blank short. Starbucks. It's just a little bright spot. It's not a big deal. No, it doesn't say blank. It says something else. But I'm going to blank it because we're recording this. I'm going to blank it because I'm not going to say it anyway. I know. Got that on the recording too. Yeah, this is from the author of Tales of 
and the novel The Night Listener. And what great advice for an adolescent kid who's a little unsure of himself and confused and whose parents maybe aren't Christian and aren't really teaching any morals at home. And so he picks this up and says, Huh. Hmm. I wonder. What we call little bright spots. It's not that big a deal. It's just a Starbucks cup. Dang. This stuff disgusts me. I couldn't finish the cup of coffee. I poured it out. And I don't even know when I'm going back to Starbucks. I'm really having a struggle with that one right there. Because I love Starbucks. But it's these little bright spots that we just get so accustomed to. They're the little things. And what's underneath? What's really going on? Beware the bright spot. It's an early sign of leprosy. Verse 3 says, The priest shall look at the mark on the skin of the body, and if the hair in the infection has turned white, and the infection appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is an infection of leprosy. When the priest has looked at him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Second thing, to jot down sin is more than skin deep. It's interesting, this, this little hair going down into the bright spot, or the scab, or the swelling in the flesh, if it's white, it indicates there's a problem deeper. There's a problem deep underneath. The swelling flesh or scab or bright spot were not the root of the problem. They were symptomatic of the problem, and the problem was leprosy underneath. So the priest inspected the hair and the infection, and if it was white, or in the scalp, as we'll see later, if it was yellow, it indicated a subcutaneous disease, a disease that is underneath the flesh, gave the flesh, the flesh just manifests sin. The flesh is not the problem. The problem goes much deeper. We saw this as we studied through the Ten Commandments. Listen to Jesus say these words, Matthew 15 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, slanders. Fleshly problems, fleshly sin, fleshly manifestation of a deeper, deeper problem. A problem that is under the skin. The flesh just reveals what's going on underneath. In contrast to the fruit of the Spirit, that visible demonstration, demonstration of the Spirit residing within me, Paul says the following about the swelling flesh. Galatians 5.19, he says, The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that you, those who practice such things, by the way, tuck that word practice away in your minds for later, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now there's a phrase in the middle of that that Paul says, he says, things like these. Because Paul is wise enough to know that we all know what's really going on. You know, I, I oftentimes, when I'm, as I'm trying to think of application and we're studying and I'm coming to different things and thinking, how, what can I say that will, will hit home with, with different people? And I realize I can't, I can't apply it the way the Spirit can apply it to you. And Paul understands that. He says things like these because we all know what these things are. We all know what the flesh looks like. We all know what these problems are that are more than skin deep. And they may be different for all of us, but we know. You don't need me to tell you what your sin problem is in your life. I got enough trouble just dealing with mine. We all know what's really going on. In Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 9 and 10 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Which going on is exactly what the priest did with leprosy. He tested it. Watch this. Verse 4. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body, and it does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and the hair on it is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate him who has the infection for seven days. The priest shall look on him on the seventh day, and in his, in his eyes the infection has not changed, and the infection has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him for seven more days. Let's keep an eye on this thing, see where it goes. No change, but it hasn't gone away either. Verse 6, the priest shall look at him again on the seventh day. And if the infection has faded and the mark has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab spreads farther on the skin, after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again to the priest. The priest shall look. And if the scab has spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. Number three, sin must be inspected by the priest. But what's interesting about this, and it's very cool, a couple of things. Number one, the priest made no snap judgments in the, expect, in, in the inspection. He didn't jump to a conclusion. The priest would see someone who might possibly have leprosy, and they would quarantine them, isolate them, separate them for seven days. At the end of seven days, come back and they check again, and if they're still not sure, seven more days. And they would inspect and take time to do so. Why? Why not just say, oh, swelling the flesh, let's get him out of here right now. Why take the time for the inspection so there's no mistake made about the diagnosis? So someone is not called unclean who actually is clean. So the, the, left, the person who may or may not have leprosy is immediately condemned to the state of uncleanness. A person may seem leprous, but the first thing the priest did was quarantine them, keeping watch. For how long? Seven days. For seven days. And then if he wasn't sure, how much longer? Seven more days. Sin must be inspected by the priest, just as the world has been under inspection for the last seven days. Six days, I guess, if you're reckoning it by the biblical calendar. Some of you Bible students, you know where I'm going with this. The Bible points to seven days, or seven dispensations, seven thousands of years for the history of man to take place. And we're on the verge, I believe, between the 6th and the 7th. The 7th hasn't started yet. The 7th is coming. We're at the end of the 6th. From Genesis to Revelation, this is talked about. And by the way, we'll explain this a whole lot more when we get into the Revelation study, if you're interested, that's starting on Sunday night. But why is it that God sets this amount of time for the world to exist? And to roll along. And why is it that we keep seeing this seven days, seven days, seven days? I mean, it is over and over and over. Here we are in the third book of the Bible, and I don't even know how many times we've seen seven days used as the standard. Why is that? It's all for the purpose, gang, of helping man understand he needs a Savior. We are under inspection in this world but the inspection that God that Jesus has for us isn't just him inspecting it's us for the reality is at the end of the seven days we will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we had leprosy that we were are sinners that we didn't merit our salvation in any way shape or form now again, you may say, well, if this is right, we've had six days of history, and day seven is the thousand-year reign of Christ, which Revelation 20 talks about. A perfect, peaceful, prosperous millennium. 
then our seven-day theory kind of breaks down, doesn't it? Because the millennium is supposed to be a time of perfection, right? Kind of. Now, there's so much to get into here, and i got to save it for Revelation. Let me just say this. Even at the end of the thousand years that the Bible talks about, where Jesus is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, in the flesh, in person, where there is a perfect world government, ultimate grace, right there. I mean, you've heard people say, well, you know, if I could just see God, if he was just here, maybe this world would be different. You know, if Jesus was real, why didn't he just show himself? Well, he's going to. And he's going to spend a, a thousand years down here showing what life is like under his rule and authority, and it will be perfect. But there will still be sin. Seems impossible, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, when Jesus in the world, there'll still be sin? I mean, if Jesus lived at my house, I'd stop sinning completely, would you? Or would you just wait until he was in the next room? <laughs> or maybe when you're off at work. Or when you're in the car. It's like that scene. You remember? I don't know if you remember the old uh, musical, Tom Sawyer. There's a scene where Tom and Huck had, Huck had been living with this real strong Christian woman and just hating it because he couldn't cuss. And he told Tom after he got out of her house and went back to his little shack, Tom finds him out there and Tom is cleaned up and everything and, and out there is Huck and Huck's not looking good. He's smoking and he's just not in a good mood. And Tom goes, Huck, what are you doing? You're messing yourself up. And he goes, are you kidding? When I was living with her, I, had to, I spent a half an hour cussing just to get the taste back in my mouth. Because that's the direction. The flesh goes to sin. Jesus living on planet earth a thousand years. And Revelation 20 verse 7 tells us when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Which shocks a lot of people. He will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and we'll talk about who those are. And gather them together for the war. Now listen to this. The number of them, that is human beings... Deceived by Satan, gathered together to make war against Jesus. The Bible says the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. For even at the end of a thousand years of perfect peace and prosperity under the rule of Jesus, man will sin. And once and for all, God will prove his point. Why would God release Satan at the end of this time of perfect peace? Number four. Number four, I think. Have we done three of them? Yes, good. Number four, unchecked sin, unchecked sin can suddenly flare up. Watch this. Read on, verse 9. When the infection of leprosy is on a man, then he shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall then look, and if there is a white swelling in the skin, and it has turned the hair white, and there is quick, raw flesh in the swelling... It is a chronic leprosy on the skin of his body and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not isolate him for he is unclean. A quick raw flesh indicates a sudden flare-up. We go along for a little while, just a little swelling in the flesh or just a little scab or just a little bright spot but suddenly, boom, quick raw flesh flaring up as the priest inspects the leprosy flares, and at the end of the millennium, God will squeeze the flesh one last time, releasing Satan and revealing the hearts of many. And there will be a flare-up of underlying sin. He gives every human person a chance, every human being alive at the time. He gives opportunity, he gives choice to, and they choose in a quick flare-up 
of quick raw flesh. It's proof positive, gang, that God's diagnosis of mankind is correct. What's that? I'll read it to you. Romans 3.10 There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Does that sound like leprosy? And their tongues keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Again, when eternity begins, we will know without a doubt what God already knows, that our cleanness depends 150% on His grace and His grace alone. And that should give us all a measure of peace, even tonight. Because hard as we try, we recognize that it's grace that saves us. Praise God, it's grace. It's grace. Now again, if this is confusing for you, this whole millennium stuff and how this works out and how the time, and we'll, we'll get into that and it'll be a lot of fun if, you're, if you want to be there for that. But this is interesting, gang, on an immediate level because often when the flesh is being examined for diagnosis, there's a flare-up. And I've seen this. I've seen this often in ministry. And you've seen it too, questioning someone about their sin. And they flare up on you. What right is it of you? How dare you judge me? Get out of my face! Judge not that you not be judged. It's one of the most quoted verses, my non-Christian people. Judge not that you not be judged. Leave me alone. Flare up. You know what really cracks me up? When someone comes up to me after a Bible study or a sermon and thinks that I singled them out and I don't even know what was going on. (laughs) And I say, thanks for confessing. Let's pray. But I didn't know. (laughs) You could have kept that one to yourself. Flare up. Off they go. But you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your lives other than what you tell me. You don't know what's going on in my life other than what I share with you. But the Lord knows. And I can guarantee you this, God's Word gets under your skin, doesn't it? When we sit here in Bible study, and a lot of times it feels great. We walk out here going, man, that was great, I love learning that. And then there are other times where we go, oh, that hurts. Because what was described in Scripture is so different than how I've lived my entire life (laughs) or my last week. Totally different than how I woke up this morning. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Even a sin as cancerous as bone cancer cannot hide from the word of God. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now watch this. It's surprising. Verse 12. If the leprosy breaks out farther on the skin and the leprosy covers all the skin of him who has the infection from his head even to his feet as far as the priest can see. Okay, this guy's covered, right? Verse 13, Then the priest shall look and behold, if the leprosy has covered all his body, he shall pronounce clean him who has the infection. It is all turned white, and he is clean. What? <laughs> is that bizarre? Yeah. This guy's covered with leprosy from head to foot, and he's pronounced clean. Well, why is that? Well, from a medical perspective, or a physical one, it's, it's possible. I, I'm just surmising, guessing here. 
But then if it covers you from head to toe, covering every inch of your body, apparently this form of leprosy had run its course and would no longer be then contagious. It's, it's done the job. It's gone to the full length that it's going to go and the leprosy itself is dead. And so the leper was pronounced clean. But how does this relate to sin? And that one we can only, like I said, guess at. Unless you're a doctor from, from back then, and I doubt any of you are. We can only guess. But how does it relate to sin? Listen, it's only when I recognize that I am a total sinner that I can be pronounced clean. It's only when from head to toe I am totally aware that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, heart and soul, head to toe, that I can truly be cleansed. And number five, sin confessed is sin about to be cleansed. Sin confessed is sin about to be cleansed. Listen, sin will run its course in our life and it will drive us one of two ways. Either, as the Bible says, the wages of sin is death, so sin will run its course in your life and kill you, or... Sin will run its course in the opposite way. It will bring you, this sounds a little strange, but stick with me, it will bring you to the one who can give you new life. Or not sin itself, but recognition of sin. Recognizing the sin in me is what it takes for me to look to Jesus and say, I need you. Come and cover me. Cleanse me. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Love this story. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You've heard this folly before, but isn't it great that he touched him before he healed him? The hand of the Master, who was not afraid of leprosy, and consequently not afraid of sin either. He touched him... And said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And Jesus sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, listen to this, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, Leviticus 13. Show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When I confess my sin in faith to the Lord, I can be clean. I'm no longer explaining it away. Blaming my sin on others, ignoring it, covering it up, flaring up when my sin is even mentioned by someone else. Hey, mention my sin, and my response is, yep, you got me, you're right, because I'm a sinner. You know, I love when the world calls Christians hypocrites. My immediate response is, of course we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're not perfect people. We aspire to righteousness. We desire holiness. We want to live for the Lord. Messed up every single day. But I recognize this sin in me. And like the leper, it drives me to Jesus. Because I know I'm not righteous. I know I'm a leper. Sin confessed is about to be cleansed. Which is why confession is so critical to salvation. Isaiah, when he first came into contact with God, God gives him an amazing vision. Isaiah chapter 6. He actually sees the throne room and he's blown away by it. And he cries out in verse 5 of Isaiah 6, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And only then, by the way, when he cried that out, when he confessed it, when he recognized his sinfulness in light of God's glory, only then did one of the seraphim take a hot coal out of the altar and come down and touch it 
to Isaiah's lips and say, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. When was his sin forgiven? When it was confessed. I am a man of unclean lips. Sin confessed is about to be cleansed. Now, what do you mean about to be cleansed? Listen closely to this. Confession does not guarantee salvation. Just because you confess your sin. Judas Iscariot confessed his sin, didn't he? Pilate confessed who Jesus was. Many people in the biblical record made confession of their sin, but never received salvation. Why? There was no faith. There was no faith. It's not just confessing. The question is not what you're confessing, it's why are you confessing? Look at verse 14. But whenever raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. The priest shall look at the raw flesh, and he shall pronounce him unclean. The raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy. Number six, sin can erupt in the person presumed to be clean. This is now dealing with someone who is thought to have been clean. You know, this, this guy who was leprous from head to toe. Oh, I get Okay, so he is clean. The sin, the sin, the leprosy has run its course. But then all of a sudden it flares up again. The moment it flares up again, we recognize this one who was thought to be clean is still unclean. In other words, if a person with leprosy who is called clean now appears to have raw flesh, that is fresh eruption of disease, He's no longer clean, and the implications with sin are very interesting. I want you to flip in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. This is a critical, critical question. It's a difficult passage, but we need to understand this. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Dealing with sin, specifically in the life of a Christian. First John chapter 3, verse 4. You're going to see the third word in this first sentence that we'll read. I told you to tuck away from a previous verse. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that when he appeared, that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. Let me read that again. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Uncomfortable much? Verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Huh? I thought you said we had to recognize we were covered with sin. Before we could be cleansed. And what happens? What happens when I become a believer? And there are people who will jump on a passage like this. Legalists who will say, Hey man, you can be forgiven for everything up until you became a Christian. But from that moment on, if you sin, it's on your head. And that's not grace. 
And that's not what John is talking about here. This is an excellent translation, the NASB, because it says exactly what it means. The word here is poieo. In the Greek, it's practices. And literally means habitually continuing in sin. Habitually. Lifestyle. Paul said, Romans 6, verse 2, How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That there is a difference okay, between sinning and between the practice of sin. There is sinning which we all do. There's sin that happens. There are wrong choices that we make. There are failures that are huge and mess ups that are major in our life. But that's sinning. And there is a difference, John indicates, between that and practicing sin. The one who practices sin cannot be born of God is not born of God the one who practices sin there are those who will appear in Christian circles those who will call themselves Christian who seem to be clean only to erupt in raw flesh only to erupt in the practice of the old sin life listen to what Peter inspired by the Holy Spirit says 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 20 if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they are again entangled in them and they're overcome the last state has become for them worse than the first for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them it has happened to them according to the true proverb a dog returns to its own vomit and he does I've seen it recently and a sow or pig after washing returns to wallowing in the mud so, so are you saying you can lose your salvation? no you can't lose your salvation but you can choose to rebel against it you can't lose it once God's given it he has given it it is yours for the taking but you can walk away from it you can reject it you can be a believer. You can be a so-called Christian. You can be clean and have a new eruption in the flesh if you choose to go back to practicing sin, living a sin lifestyle, getting caught up in a sin that happened before. God is not going to force you into the pearly gates. He's not going to drag you kicking and screaming into paradise. It's not how God works. He opens the doors and he invites you to come in. But can a person who has erupted in sin, that is, returning to a sinful lifestyle after they've been saved, can they still turn around and, and be saved after that? Is it possible? Look at verse 16, back in Leviticus 13. It's interesting how this all maps out. Verse 16, God says, If the raw flesh turns again and is changed to white, then he shall come to the priest. And the priest shall look at him, and behold, if the infection has turned to white, then the priest shall pronounce clean. Him who has the infection, he is clean. And I believe the grace of God is absolutely huge in this matter. And speaking of the church of Ephesus, Jesus writes a letter. He writes seven letters in the early book, uh, chapters of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And in these seven letters, speaking to the churches, he says this to Ephesus. Revelation 2.5 Therefore remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Turn it around, gang. Repent. Come back to the Father. And Jesus says, I will save you. I will protect you. But here's the problem. Here's the reason why it often doesn't happen. 
The more sin is practiced, the less the practitioner wants to be clean. The more I live the lifestyle that is in direct rebellion to God, the more, the further away, the harder it is to get back. Not because God won't accept me, but because my flesh won't let me. It's called numbness, and it's number seven in our notes. Sin, like leprosy, damages my spiritual nervous system. It makes me numb. And the more I sin, the more numb I get. Things like this little coffee cup that bother me so much. After a while, that's kind of an interesting thought. I don't agree with it, but it's interesting. People should be able to express themselves on coffee cups. You know what? Not the cups I buy. <laughs> I wrote them a letter, by the way, an email. I got home immediately, and there's a place you can do it. The bottom of the cup is www.starbucks.com slash way I see it. So I wrote them, and I said, the way I see it. <laughs> and I quoted three verses, all having to do with Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him, and His name is the only name in heaven or on earth given by which a man may be saved. And I said all that, and I said, I'd love to see these on a coffee cup. Doubt it'll happen, but I would love to see it. Be my opinion. Nobody asked, but I'll give it. Sin damages my spiritual nervous system. Revelation chapter 2, verse 21. Now Jesus is talking to this church called Thyatira. The town is Thyatira. And he says the following to this church, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her immorality. And that's why someone who has become a Christian, but then fallen away and is walking in a sinful, practicing a sinful lifestyle, is so hard to get back because they don't want to. It's a rebellion issue. It's a heart issue. I don't want to come back. But the gates are wide open with grace and love and forgiveness. If you'll turn, I don't want to turn. I've had to accept in ministry that there are some people who do not want to be saved. Who just don't want to hear the truth. I can pray. I can plead. I can challenge, convict. I can even try to be comforting. But ultimately, sin has this vague, numbing effect. It dulls our senses. By the way, that's the reason a leper, a leper often, often loses limbs. Because they're numb. And a leper will sprain an ankle and not even know it. And continue walking on that ankle doing more and more and more and more damage. Until finally the ankle begins to rot from the inside out. A leper will break a finger, slam it in a door, not even knowing that they did it because the nerves are shot. There's no sensation. There's no feeling. They're numb. And ultimately, the finger will rot and fall off because it hasn't been corrected or healed or fixed because they don't even know there's a problem. What would be just a normal cut to you and I that hurts in the leg. And so we go and we get the band-aid and the needles for and we slap it on there and we cover it all up and we check it and we watch it. We make sure we're going to be okay. To the leper... It infects and it gets diseased and it gets worse and worse until the leg is gangrenous. You see how it works? That's what sin does. We get numb to things that we shouldn't be numb to. We lose our spiritual sensitivity. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 10. And Jesus quoted this a second time in Matthew 13, 15. The heart of this people has become dull. And that is a dangerous place to be. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18. Paul goes on saying, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts, they have become callous. Callous. Things that used to hurt or bother or upset me or pain me, it doesn't bother me anymore. That's no big deal. 
movies that maybe tonight where we all could go to a film together and see something on the screen and be offended that we would walk out from, go to enough of them, and you'll get used to it. And you'll say, that's ah, just one of those things. I'll just look to the side until you're not looking to the side anymore. I'll just shut it off in my ears until you're speaking the words you're hearing. We get numb. First Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to the deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. You see, leprosy can be compared to a third degree burn, which once that searing takes place and destroys the nerves, you can't feel with that part of the skin anymore. You're numb. It's gone. The sensitivity is shot. And practiced sin has the same effect. Same effect. By the way, there's really good news for you tonight. If you're struggling at all with sin, if you're feeling pain, maybe from something you've done, if you're at all concerned, hallelujah, your spiritual senses are still intact. You're still feeling. You get that pain of guilt? Man, run to the Father Seek His forgiveness, confess and praise Him that you've got the pain of guilt in the first place. Because you are still sensitive to the things of the Lord. Well, the next several verses now, the priest is keeping a watchful eye on the diseased flesh and a possible breakout from leprosy in different forms. Verses 18 through 23. A boil. And it talks about that. Verses 24 through 28, a burn by fire. And the priest inspects that. And verses 29 through 37, an inspe- infection on the scalp or on the face. Verse 38. See how quick we can move when we need to? It's reiterated over and over what the priest does in each of these situations. For someone can get a burn on the skin and apparently can catch this particular kind of leprosy because the skin is now open to it. Or there might be, like I said, uh, what a burn, a boil, an infection on the scalp or face. These could break out into leprosy. And so these people were also taken to the priest and watched closely, which brings us to number eight in our list. The flesh must be kept under close observation. The priest kept an eye on things, watched closely, carefully to detect, to make sure that leprosy did not break out in somebody. And in the same way Paul writes this about our lives, our spirituality, his literally, 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What is Paul saying? He's saying, man, I am keeping the flesh under check. I'm working out in the Spirit. I am running the race. I want to win that prize. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to be in the Lord and also to protect the message that the Lord has given me. I'll tell you honestly, I think about that all the time. Because I have to stand up here every Wednesday night, every Sunday, coming up soon now, Sunday nights, and speak from the Word. And I'll tell you, if you want a good way to keep the flesh under check, go into ministry. You have to. You've got to keep watch. Because it can destroy the message. And by the way, it will in your life too. If you're just out there living, looking like the world, doing whatever, and then you turn to a friend and say, Hey, Jesus loves you, man. They'll go, yeah, Okay, pass the joint, you idiot. What are you talking about? I don't understand. Now, skip on down again. Verse 38. We'll get finished here. 
When a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, even white bright spots, then the priest shall look. And if the bright spots on the skin of their bodies are a faint white, it is eczema that has broken out on the skin, so he's clean. <laughs> Verse 40, I like these two verses. Now a man loses the hair on his head. He is bald. He is clean. Hallelujah, bald men everywhere. That's right. If the head becomes bald at the front and the sides, he's bald on the forehead. He's clean. I'll tell you one of the funniest things that happened to me. We got time. Sure, we got time. No, we don't. But I got to tell you, we were. Um, I was at a youth specialist conference with a friend of mine named Darren Hull. Darren, at a young age, mid twenties, lost all his hair. I mean, just went totally bald. He, you know, he had a little crown, but that was it. Guy in his twenties. So he just shaved that off. You know, he just went for it. Well, we're at this youth specialties conference, and uh, they had this, these risers that were up on the stage. And every time there was a session, they would call out different groups of people. You know, the youth ministers from Minnesota, and they could sit up on the risers. Or, you know, women involved in youth ministry, they could sit up on the riser. And one day they called out bald guys. <laughs> all bald men can sit up on the risers. And so Darren grabs his Bible, and he goes walking up there, you know, all proud of his baldness. I had more hair at the time. And so I was sitting, you know, out, out there in the audience, and, and Darren is sitting there, and, and I see him whispering something to Mike Iaconelli, who is the co-founder of Youth Specialties. And Mike comes up to the microphone, I'm so proud of Darren, because we're talking 2,000 youth pastors all in this big audience. And Mike goes, one of our bald brethren has something to share. And so Darren gets up, and he walks over, and he opens up the scriptures, and he reads from the time that Elijah, who apparently was bald, was walking along, and he's reading the story, two youth ministers, understand the context, and Elijah's walking along, and a bunch of youths called out, Go on down, you bald head! And they started making fun of his baldness. And so Elijah called a bear out of the woods who came down and mauled the youth. <laughs> it's in the Bible, folks. And I'm glad we don't have to deal with it tonight. So, bald guys are clean. That's good news. But, verse 42, if on the bald head or the bald forehead there occurs a reddish-white infection, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head. You know, if it, as if baldness wasn't enough for this poor guy. No, and by the way, if you're bald, it's not a bad thing. It's not a sin. I'm in trouble. You know, I'm losing it anyway. So... Verse 41. 42. So, the red, red thing uh, breaks out on his head. It could be leprous. Verse 43. Then the priest shall look at him, and if the swelling of the infection is reddish-white on his bald head or in his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprosy in the skin of the body, he's a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His infection is on his head. Interesting the way that's put. His sin is on his head. It's his responsibility. Some people won't come to Christ because there's a swelling on their head. There's an infection in the brain that causes them to think they can really work it out. These people will worship the swelling, prideful God of the brain. And they'll say things like this, I don't need a crutch. To which I would respond, yeah, but you know what? Once you've figured out you're lame, a crutch is a real good thing to have. Once you understand you're sinful, I want to walk with my arms around Jesus. I need the help. Well, verse 45 going on tells us as for the leper who, was, who has the infection, 
His clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall uncover his mustache, or he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection, he is unclean, which indicates it wasn't necessarily incurable. All the days which he has the infection, he is unclean, and he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Number nine, sin destroys relationships. Leprosy destroyed relationships. Once it was discovered in a person, they were on their own. They were outside of the camp. And allowing sin to go unchecked results in separation and isolation. And by the way, there are those who have the audacity to say, Hey, if I'm going to hell, at least my friends will be there too. But you know what Jesus has to say about that? Jesus called hell the outer darkness. Charlotte and I visited Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico when we were in when we were in college. We, we went there and visited with some friends, and there's a part in the in the caverns if you've gone down in there, they take you in real deep, and then they shut off all the lights, and you literally cannot see. Even when it's dark in here at night, you can adjust and see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't even see anything. It was absolute pitch blackness, not even close to the outer darkness described in the Bible. It will be happening in hell. Your friends may be there, but you won't see them. And you won't know. And you will be completely isolated. Sin destroys marriages. It divides relationships. It destroys families, friendships. Sin always separates, always isolates. But far worse than any other lost relationship is the lost relationship with our Father. Isaiah 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is His ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Gang, if leprosy can't get our attention as to the seriousness of sin, I don't know what can. Verse 47. Let's finish up. (laughs) You're looking, you're like, 47 to 59, you're going to finish up? Yeah, watch this. When a garment has a mark of leprosy in it, Okay, now we're to clothing. We've moved off the skin and we're to the clothing. When a garment has a mark of leprosy in it, whether it is a wool garment or a linen garment, whether in warp or woof, which doesn't have to do with the speed of a spaceship or the mark of a dog, it's actually warp and woof means weaving or texture, okay? So whether in the weaving or the texture of linen or of wool, whether in leather or in any article made of leather. If the mark, and think about it, a piece of clothes has a strange odd mark in it. You bring it to the priest and he looks at it. If the mark is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather or in the warp or in the woof, <laughs> I just love the word, or in the article of leather, it is a leprous mark and shall be shown to the priest. Then the priest shall look at the mark and shall quarantine the article with the mark for seven days. I think some of our fashion designers probably ought to take seven days to look at what they've designed before putting it on the market. He shall then look at the mark on the the seventh day, and if the mark has spread in the garment, whether in the warp or in the woof or in the leather, whatever the purpose for which the leather is used, the mark is a leprous malignancy and is unclean. Like I said, this is a different kind of leprosy than we understand today. It could literally infect as a mold or an infectious mildew clothing. And if it got in the clothing, it was set aside. For seven days, and then checked, and then set aside. And ultimately, if it's a leprous malignancy, it is unclean. Verse 52, so he shall burn the garment, whether the weaving or the texture, the warp or the wolf, 
in the wool or in the linen or in any article of leather in which the mark occurs, for it is a leprous malignancy, it shall be burned in the fire. And then the same thing is applied to the garment that was applied to the people. He goes on and just says, the priest shall look, and if the mark is not spread in the garment after the seven days is done, good, it's clean, they have the garment back. And the article has with the mark, after it's been washed, the priest, verse 55, shall look again, and if the mark has not changed its appearance, even though the mark is not spread, it's unclean, burn it in the fire. Verse 56, if the priest looks, and the mark has faded after it's been washed, he shall tear it out of the garment, or out of the leather, whether from the warp or from the wood, it shall, and if it appears again in the garment, well, then you burn it, okay? You get the picture, and it's in the garment, you burn it. You get rid of it. What is this talking about? Number nine, sin, like leprosy, is contagious even in our clothing. Even in our clothes. Which should have immediate and direct application to us today. Now this meant, even if it was wool, linen, leather, no article of clothing was safe from this if the mark showed up, this greenish or reddish little mark, and began to spread this strange, infectious mildew, it was pronounced unclean, and it was burned. Now there's a health reason for that, and we can understand that reading these things. But we have the same problem in our clothing today. The clothing that we're wearing, that we're buying for our kids, that we're buying into fashion-wise, and it's got leprous marks all over it. If you look at what is sold in the malls and the stores, it's interesting. It's actually an infection that's causing the waistlines of jeans to, to get lower. And it's causing the hems of shirts to go higher. And ultimately what it's doing is it's showing more and more and more of the flesh. That's what's going on in clothing today. And the clothing and fashion industry has figured out that the flesh and sex are hot sellers in the marketplace, especially to teenagers. I'd advise you, um, if you're interested, and parents especially, to check out American Decency Association's website. The American Decency Association. Christian organization, kind of a watchdog group. It's AmericanDecency.com. Now listen to this. In early 2000, they launched a massive campaign against Abercrombie & Fitch. Our good old friends, Abercrombie and Fitch. Why? Because they used nude models in their fashion magazines of what appeared to be young teenagers. Now, they couldn't have legally done that. They all had to be at least 18 or older. But nude models to sell clothing because they knew that the high school and college age target audience would pick up that magazine, would buy those clothes... They continued the practice up until the spring of 2004, but, and listen, you can make a difference morality-wise in our country. The American Decency Association stayed on them and on them and on them, and finally, in the spring of 2004, Abercrombie and Fitch came out with a catalog that didn't have any nude models in it. Big deal, you still should see some of the clothing that they're selling. It's unbelievable. And we live in this world, and we accept it. It's just a little bright spot, right? Just a little scab. No one's going to see it. It's just a slight little swelling of the flesh. What's the big deal? Who really cares? Verse 59, this is the law. For the mark of leprosy in a garment of wool or linen, whether in the warp or in the woof, in any article of leather for pronouncing it clean or unclean. And I might say, so what? So close are my vice. You know, one nice thing about living in the Northwest is it's cold enough of the time that we got to cover up. But man, I'll tell you, it blew my mind after having done youth ministry in Virginia, moving back to California, 
and taking a group of kids to the beach, to Newport Beach, for the first time in the summer. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, I was sitting right and left. It was unbelievable what people were wearing on the beach. And these kids thought nothing of it. Why? They were numb. They're so used to it. It's culture. It's the way they were. We had to mandate that when we went to the beach, we brought, and this is great, we brought the ugliest, dumbest, weirdest looking youth ministry t-shirts we could find. And we had a big box of them. We took those to the beach with us. And if a student came, a girl with a two-piece or a guy with a bathing suit that was, you know, gross, then we'd hand them one of these stupid, ugly t-shirts. There you go. Wear that at Newport Beach. They learned really quick. Let me finish. Jude 23. Jude says, Hey, even the garment polluted by the flesh. Why? Are we just getting legalistic here? No. God hates sin. With every fabric of his being, God hates sin. Because sin is the one thing that can separate you from him. Nothing else can. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Sin can if I choose it, if I walk in it, if I desire it, like leprosy under the skin, sin can separate me. Now after a serious warning of end times apostasy and a loud call to holiness in a little letter, it doesn't even have chapters, it's just a few verses, the letter of Jude, he ends with this, and it's a good note, and I want you to hear this. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless, you could say spotless, with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And number 10 in your list, God is able not only to make you but to keep you Let's pray. Father, I just pray that we would take these things seriously. And we can joke around with leprosy because none of us here have it, Lord. But we don't want to joke around with sin. Because, Lord, we have it. It is my prayer, Father, that none of us would go a direction of practicing sin, living a lifestyle of sin. Knowing, Father, that we are sinners, that we have a sin nature, but that you have cleansed us of these things, may we desire and strive to live holy lives, lives that are pleasing to you, Father, lives that would bring a smile to your face, lives that are worth the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ, lives, Father, that as we live them, will proclaim the gospel to other people. God, never let us think for a moment that by looking leprous we can save lepers. But Father, cleanse us, make us whole, and help us by our difference to be useful to you for the salvation of others in this world. And Lord, lastly, forgive us of our sin. Wash us of our disease. We love you, Father. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all transgression. And we ask that you will keep these things on our hearts and in our minds tonight and throughout the week as we walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen.